0: Something truly missing from Xi Jinping's speech was anything about encouraging investment in his own country from us. It didn't occur. He talked about cooperating on trade. He doesn't want foreign investment. He doesn't want to be so tied to our money that us stopping the money causes their economy to collapse they've just watched what happened to russia and while russia is making it they have moved backwards in technology significantly once more under the breach dear
1: friends Else fill the wall up with our English dead.
0: Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And welcome back to another exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we may discuss things like money and China, inflation, deflation, and other mm, conceptual and uh, poofery concepts that don't have anything to do with something that might hit your finger if you were constructing a building. Yes, that's what we are going to concentrate on, things of the brain. Um, but they can also affect your bank account balance, doesn't hurt your thumb when you hit it with a with a bank account balance. But, you know, it, it does affect your pain tolerance at some level, I'm sure. Uh, but we wanted to talk about what happened in the CPI release. The Consumer Price Index was... Uh, updated this last week and you wanted to go into some detail on that would you like to begin
1: I would it was an unusual month um, first off it's important to remember that when the CPI is released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics the um, which is one of three different places that this kind of information is released. It's called a first estimate. Uh, and there is a second one, and then there's a third one, and actually there's more down the road. But, but the first estimate that came in is that the consumer price index in the United States from October to November rose exactly 0%, uh, which means it didn't. It rose not at all and that is not known as any form of inflation and we've been saying for some time that it's rising around 1.2% a year for several the last several months um the the bottom line or headline or whatever number that it makes the big the the headlines was 3.2% for 12 months and it was estimated it was going to be 3.3 well if 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 it comes in at 3.2 versus 3.3, why would that cause this market to jump up? Well, it boiled down to that there was a a lot of information that came into the same time uh, or about the same time. One is the fact that basically for the first time in a long, long time, inflation rose 0%. Within the inflation numbers, when we dig, it gets even more interesting because some things like some retail objects, some things that you buy in the stores, including some forms of food, fell as much as 1.5 percent, and they're continuing to fall. Yeah, and uh, Walmart, when it released its earnings, which were which beat estimates as usual, uh, said that Walmart and Target both warned that down the road they are seeing lower demand and are being forced to lower prices to keep people buying things. That's called disinflation. That's not deflation, mind you. Deflation is a different animal altogether. Disinflation means the stores were able to raise their prices and raise their profits uh, disproportionately over the last couple of years, and they're being being forced to cut back now. Well, Why is that happening? Well, basically the excess savings held by people Of middle and lower income have dissipated. Last month, as a matter of fact, uh, in September and October, they spent more money than they made, which which you can see because the credit card balances started going back up again. So we're back in a more or less normal situation, and they realize they spent more money than they made, and as a result, they're cutting back on their spending now. Um, This is not bad. It's not abnormal. This is just normal consumer behavior in the United States and it's, and it's good. But we have been saying, matter of fact, I went back to the old newsletters, we've been saying for six months now that inflation is dead. And apparently this week, the traders on Wall Street read one of our old newsletters because they also concluded that inflation is dead. Now, what does that mean in a practical way? The Federal Reserve has been very, very adamant that they're not going to be lowering short term rates anytime soon. Uh, the same is true in the European Union, where, by the way, the uh, chairman of the uh, Central Bank of the European Union, who used to be the prime minister of Italy, um, has stated that he would be very surprised if Europe was not in a recession before the end of this year. So they're in. They have, by the way, considerably higher inflation than we have. Somewhere between four and six percent, four point nine and six point five percent inflation going on in Europe right now, and they're sliding into a recession. Whereas our inflation has dropped to effectively zero, and we don't see any signs of a recession on the horizon. The other thing, of course, is the fact that uh, we had oh, about two hundred and seventy thousand new applications last week for uh, unemployment which is considerably higher than we've seen. It means that some people are being laid off by companies right now. Now, again, that normally would be bad news, but the market took it as good news because it means the economy is slowing the growth rate of the economy is slowing to the point that it will be sustainable. Uh, we hit 3.9% unemployment, which was reaffirmed by the Labor Department this last week. 3-4% is considered by the Federal Reserve to be full employment. I tend to think that's a very accurate number. So we're um, we're cruising along very nicely. And then uh, I'm throwing a lot of data out, but I think it's very, very important to recognize some of this. Uh, we've said in the newsletter, and I've said many, many times, if you want to see where inflation is headed before it hits you, look at import prices. Import prices fell by 0.8% in October. And when import prices are declining, we import a lot of stuff in the United States, and it affects our prices as we import things. The, consumer, the, the producer price index, the wholesale prices, also fell last month. So we are at least in my opinion, well into disinflation at this point, which is a very healthy thing at this, this, this particular moment in time. It's a very healthy thing. Now, could it get carried away and head towards actual deflation? Yeah, but not really because we were going so fast before we we were coming off a quarter with 4.9% gdp annualized growth that's not sustainable we've got we've got to decelerate a little bit we're not going to not necessarily slow down but accelerate at a lower rate of speed in the united states the economy of the united of the united states simply can't handle the growth rate we've been seeing and again if you question Why we can't handle it, if you live here in central Texas where we are, just drive on I-35 anywhere, and you will discover that even on weekends, on times when I-35, Sunday mornings, not normally jammed, but it is jammed on Sunday mornings now, uh, we have reached the capacity of our infrastructure in many places, which means that further increased demand by consumers would cause inflation, and we are stabilizing there. Okay.
0: Nice. Well, I wanted to tell where some of the places are that the prices have dropped because uh, people are going. Are you serious? This there's no drive. What are you talking about? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. Number one, one that people have been complaining about for about two years now: eggs. By this, I don't mean dinosaur eggs, ostrich eggs, emu eggs. Or crocodile eggs. Chicken eggs in particular. Year over year, the price of eggs is down 22.2%. That's a huge drop. Usually when we talk about food and energy prices, well, we pull those out of the core inflation because we can have such big movements up and down. Uh, fuel oil is down 21.4% twelve months from 12 months ago. Um, piped gas service from a utility is down about 16%. Here's one that is interesting because we just saw the opposite of this at our office. This is why anecdotal data gets in the way of of looking at the averages and why when we say, hey, prices are down and you might say, well, it wasn't for me. Health insurance is down 34% over the last 12 months. That sounds a little weird. We just had a 10% increase at our office year over year. But overall, health insurance costs are down 34% across the nation according to the CPI. That's a big deal. Uh, motor vehicle parts are down about 1%. Toys and games are down about 4%. Uh, used cars and trucks are down 7%. So this is, I mean, whole milk's down 2.5%, butter's down 4%. So when you're talking about prices going down in places that people feel it, This is it. Computer prices are down 5.7%. So when you get into televisions, that's about 10% down. Car and truck rental, about 10% down. Major appliances, down about 10%. You're seeing prices drop at Home Depot and Walmart and Target. Now, we've been talking about this on the cusp of happening because we're getting the lower prices at the import. Well, why is that? Well, number one, the dollar is strong. We don't have a war happening on our continent. Nor is there one threatened at the moment where Asia and Europe, the two other leading continents of industry and economy, um, both have major either wars in progress or implied and threatened. Those are causing the dollar to go up. It means that it's easier to buy stuff overseas. We don't buy our eggs overseas. Why are egg prices down 22%? Well, because we've killed a lot fewer chickens this year than we did last year. Uh, Avian flu was a real deal last year. We had to kill a bunch of chickens, and they were egg-laying chickens. They weren't the chickens you buy for their legs and their breasts and their wings. They were the chickens who just laid eggs, and we had to kill a lot of them so that they didn't kill more. Uh, So now we haven't done that for a while, and enough eggs have been allowed to hatch since then to make more egg-layers, That the prices have come down. This is what happens in this market. Sounds like a Ponzi scheme to me. Oh, yes. I mean, what you need to do is cut the chicken open to see how many eggs it has inside it. Wait a minute. Well, you can do that. That's probably not the greatest idea. So, when I say big news, what the big subject? We've touched on deflation happening in or disinflation happening, you know, when we have health insurance rates going up consistently year after year in double digits. And then suddenly we have a double digit drop. We consider that disinflation because we just inflated it and now it's going back to where it was not that long ago. There's nobody that sets the stage and says, disinflation isn't isn't disinflation anymore after X amount of time. It's pure opinion. So you can call disinflation deflation if you want. If you consider a tire, if you overinflated it, uh, You're not really disinflating it when you lower the pressure. You're deflating it. Um, And tires are a good example of inflation and deflation, not just for the air involved, but the prices on tires are coming down a little bit. Tires are deflating. We used them as a great example during the pandemic of a thing that was inflating faster than usual. Uh, And so you can double inflate your tire. You can both raise the price and the pressure in the tire and get double inflation. It is a rare situation uh, also found in pool toys. Uh, Just putting that that out there. There are places on the planet right now that are experiencing true deflation. One major place, China, is in the throes of deflation. Uh, They are fighting it as hard as they can but it's there uh, and this is kind of an interesting statement there about what's going on there's some articles in The Wall Street Journal about where is where have all the foreign buyers of. US debt gone uh, and when we look back uh, you know not that long ago it seems like China was the number one holder of. US debt and they're not anymore they're quickly falling in that category they've been selling more than buying uh, US government debt over the last 12 months. Well, what's going on there? China's having trouble. And when you don't have excess money above what you're using to do stuff with to invest, you don't invest it. That's what's happening. They've been in a trade war with us since 2018. That increased their initial buying of U.S. treasuries, and then it dropped during the pandemic. started to come back in 2021 and 22, and now it's back down to negative. What's going on there? China's economy is not consumer-based. What does that mean? It means that the, the citizens of China, by themselves, do not allow China to be profitable. In the United States, if we didn't have foreign trade, it would hurt us. We would, we would say, oh, man, that's not fun. This isn't good. Prices are up. In China, without foreign trade, their economy would collapse completely. Well, I mean, we would have major damage, but the vast majority, about two-thirds of our economy, is wrapped around ourselves buying from ourselves, When you buy from Walmart, when you buy from Ford, when you buy from Levi's, you go down the list of companies that we buy from, Starbucks, McDonald's, go on down the list of American companies that Americans use, we are providing profit for our own companies. And in China, there's parts of the economy that fall in that category. So their own car sales, they're self-sufficient in their own car sales. They're beginning to export cars. But the vast majority of their industries are dependent on foreign buyers. And without those foreign buyers, they go into problematic mode. And the foreign buyers of Chinese goods and the foreign investment in creating new Chinese goods has gone to zero and negative. It's gone to zero and negative since... 2020, when the pandemic hit and we realized that China was shutting down a lot harder than anywhere else and we couldn't trust them anymore. And then the first people to get kicked out of the factories were the quality control folks. Uh, The fact that theft of intellectual property has gone not just up, but exponentially up in China. These are problems that we had with China as an annoyance level saying, hey, you guys need to be working on this long time. You need to make sure that the the long-term efforts to get intellectual property rights covered. And they were moving in that direction very slowly, but moving. They've gone the other direction fast. They're claiming the patents of U.S. companies that built in their factories. So they're able to put those products out in direct competition with a U.S. product without the label of the name brand on it. And what that's left uh, uh, is a massive quality drop in China. It, it's in, it's compounding on the fact that less money is going to China to invest. Less money is also going to China to buy stuff from them. So not just investing in ownership, but actually buying their products because their products have been less quality. And I I doubt that there's anybody that's listening that's surprised by me saying this. This is something that we have all experienced. If you're ordering something, period, if it's from China, it's more likely to be bad now than it was 12 months ago. And 12 months ago, it was more likely to be bad then than it was 12 months prior to that. We are seeing a rapid drop in quality from China.
1: You could have shortened that sentence.
0: I probably could have. Very I doubt quickly. that
1: there's anybody listening.
0: Yes, I doubt that there's anyone listening.
1: And one no, would disagree it. with you, you can... You can yeah. There's no one listening. No who will one's be that disagreeing system. with you. No Correct. So. Correct. That's right.
0: me. You, you. summed it up very. Are you listening? I am. You uh, prove it. <laughs> While
1: well, I'm talking to you,
0: China's prices in China for their own stuff is are dropping. Part of that is. A big chunk of their economy, 20 the 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 largest piece, individual piece of their economy, where we can say the largest individual piece of our economy is consumer spending. That's two-thirds. In China, about a quarter of their economy is based in real estate. Real estate is not a good thing to be driving your economy. Just I, I can say that without any qualifiers. Going back as far back as you want to look in history. If the reason why your economy is doing well is because your real estate values are going up, hold on to your britches, because that goes the other way at some point. Or your bridges. Hold on to your britches. Or your bridges, yes. Hold on to your bridges. Because real estate values, particularly when your population is shrinking, you know that old saying people have said for your entire lives of they're not making any more real estate? Well, yeah, but they're making fewer people. So there's more real estate to go around in China and in Japan and in Europe. And this is why in Italy, they're offering the sale of villages for very small amounts of money because nobody lives there anymore. And in Japan, the number of vacant houses is increasing very rapidly. Well, what's going on there? Well, the older people are either moving out of them for assisted living Or passing away and they're leaving a house. If you just think of it this way, in China, the average young person has four grandparents. Well, Well, Jake, that's true in the United States as well, as a matter of fact. Yes, but to those four grandparents, they only have one grandkid. So if you have two houses associated with the grandparents, you got Uh, grandpa and grandma and nana and papa, they both have houses. They've got one kid each. They could hand that house off to that kid. Well, now you've got a couple that has one kid that now have their own house that they started with and the house from each of their parents. So they're only, you've got three houses. You can't really effectively live in three houses. And then when those parents go away, those all have to pass to one person. And that one person may or may not be married and may also have that happening to a spouse. So, if you think about that for very long, you start going, um, there's something weird here. Uh, and we just got an email saying, I'm listening.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm uh, impressed. That's
0: from, that's from Marty. Uh, Marty, thank you for listening. We appreciate your, uh, your ears. There you go. I bet you don't have your ears complimented very often. We now have complimented your ears. Uh, those of you who are listening in general, you have great ears. We we appreciate you. Uh, your ears are fantastic. So, China's in the throes of trying to decouple itself from its own real estate market, which has been overinflated and overinflated and overinflated. This has happened many times in the United States. It's happened many times all over the planet. It's happened many times in China. Anytime you have a massive boom in real estate, it tends to follow with a massive crash in real estate, particularly if you have fewer people willing to buy houses than you used to have. And the supply going up at the same time. So when we talk about Evergrande and these other, uh, what what is that? There are enough of these silly names in English of how this is Evergrande. Anybody that has to tell you that in their name, it's a little bit scary as to how long they're going to be around because they're on the rocks now. They are not doing well. They are in position where they owe a lot of money. Uh, The Chinese government is also the majority of the banking in China. They're state-owned banks, which means that the debt of those banks is national debt. It's not counted that way, but it's national debt. So if they have bank failures in China, it's government failure in China. So they're working really hard to prevent the bank failures. They're doing something that Japan did uh, at the end of the 1990s, which is we're going to figure out how to maintain these companies and the banks that loan the money without actual payment on the debt. We're just going to actually keep them around. We used to call them zombie banks in Japan. In China, they're creating zombie banks right now, which means by definition, their growth rate has to slow. Why is that? The vast majority of growth in any economy is sourced, from bank loans. If you want to start a business, it doesn't matter if you live in China or in the United States or in anywhere. Most people don't start their business with their own money. They might have some money and they usually have as much as they can afford in, in the creation of their business. But without a bank loan, you don't make the business. And a lot of the new businesses in China came from bank loans. Well, the banks don't have the money to loan anymore. The the Chinese government has been loaning money to the United States government for decades. Well, why? Well, because they figure it's safe. It's a nice place to put money. The U.S. government is consistent in paying interest until they threaten not to occasionally. But they've they've always done it. They've always paid it. And so the Chinese go, this is a good place to put money. So do the Europeans. So do the Japanese. Well, the Chinese don't have as much extra money to do that anymore. And that's also affecting the treasury market. It's part of the reason why we expect long-term rates to continue to rise is a major player in that market is out. Now, by major, we're talking about they own less than a trillion dollars of our debt. And we have a lot of debt. So it's not a massive amount. The vast, vast majority of our debt is owned by us. We are a consumer of our own debt as well. In Japan, that's also true. The vast majority of Japanese debt is owned by Japanese citizens which has allowed them to consistently move forward the way they are. The majority of Chinese debt is also owned by Chinese citizens. That allows them to slowly um, allow failures or not. But it's not a good sign for growth. It's a major, major economy. It depends on how you measure this stuff. The European Union may be about the same size as the United States as a block. With the UK leaving it, it shrunk, so it's not quite as big as the United States. Um, China is right there. And who's number one? Well, China's not number one. And their GDP has been growing at the same rate or slower than our GDP when we already have a much bigger country as far as our economy, which means they're not catching up. They're falling behind. It's going to take them longer to become the largest economy on the planet. And it looks like the decisions that they're making in banking, say that 10 times fast, are leading them faster down that path of not catching up with us. Xi Jinping just gave a big speech to a huge number of CEOs in the United States yesterday and met with Elon Musk beforehand and a couple of others, Larry Fink from BlackRock's out there, those of you that think about BlackRock and their Chinese investments and so on. Something truly missing from Xi Jinping's speech was anything about encouraging investment in his own country from us. It didn't occur. He talked about cooperating on trade. He doesn't want foreign investment. He doesn't want to be so tied to our money that us stopping the money causes their economy to collapse. They've just watched what happened to Russia. And while Russia is making it, they have moved backwards in technology significantly from what they were a year and a half ago. Uh, The ability to buy a car, the ability to buy a new house, the ability to buy new electronics of any kind, televisions, washing machines, any of that stuff... It's much, much harder to do now. And Xi Jinping is looking across at Russia saying that could happen to us if we invade Taiwan. And they shut off all their money. All of our stuff drops. So if I can control this and decouple us slowly, then I can invade Taiwan and they can't do anything about it. That's my thought on what's going on there. Uh, He's very clearly stated he wants Taiwan. So they're moving into deflation. And I promised I would tell you why that was worse than inflation. We all know inflation and we don't like Eggs go up in price. uh, Mortgages go up in price cars go up in price. We don't like it. Why would price dropping be a bad thing, Jake? That's a little bit weird. Okay, let me put it from a perspective of who it affects the most. If you have a large amount of money sitting in the bank, deflation is great for you. It feels amazing. You can buy more with that money. If you have a very small amount of money in the bank, deflation's not good for you because deflation tends to come With wage drops, you can buy more stuff with your money, so therefore you should be paid less so that you can buy the same amount because you're still making the same amount of stuff for us. So deflation leads to pay drops to the employees, which leads to further drops in prices. Why is that necessarily bad? It sounds great if you think about it. All the prices are going down. Jake, what's wrong with that? Debt. This is the true issue. Uh, there was a little pun in there for those of you that are the ultra nerds. Debt that you hold for a long period of time, that you wrote a contract that said you would pay it back. And that number doesn't go down with deflation. So let's say two years ago, you got a mortgage that you're going to pay over 30 years and the last several years, your pay has been lowered three times because the price of eggs has dropped or the price of gas has dropped and you can buy TVs for a lot less money. You're still obligated to pay that mortgage at the price you agreed to, even though the value of the money has increased since then. Deflation is a killer to the middle and lower classes in any economy. The more wealthy you are, the better deflation is. But bankers understand that they don't make their money from the top 1%. As much as people think that, that you know, the concentration of wealth and all of that, the reality is that concentration came because of consumer spending. Two-thirds of our economy didn't come from 1% of the people. It came from all of us. And if we have less money to spend because we have to spend more on our, or the same amount on our mortgage, but our prices, our own pay has been dropping, it causes us to spend less money in general, which causes us to have to lower prices again. It becomes a very quick gravity hole that quickly becomes a black hole if you're not careful. It's why the Great Depression was so bad because they had that unemployment kicked in. You, I mean- this is, this is a big issue with unions. We had this question earlier. A union's not going to agree to lower their price, their pay? When does that happen? And if the companies say, well, our prices had to drop to be competitive, that means we're making less money and your pay hasn't dropped. Well, how do we work that out? Usually through bankruptcies of major companies that have big union contracts. This is important to recognize. when When the big three automakers in the United States became the big two, and I know Chrysler still exists, but not really. It's Stellantis now, and it's, it's a European company. Uh, they make Jeep. That's as true American as you can get. Well, just like Toyota makes cars in the United States, it's not a U.S. company. Stellantis, Toyota. Toyota is what cleaned the clocks of the big three U.S. manufacturers of automobiles. Why? Well, because they didn't have a union When they were manufacturing in the United States, they went down to the south, not up into the big uh, area around Detroit where all the workers are, and they'd had a century to unionize. They went down to the south where there were plenty of workers not making any money and not unionized, and they gave them good pay. But it wasn't as high a pay as the union makers, and it certainly didn't cover uh, retirement and health care for the rest of a retiree's life. General Motors had a third of the cost of a vehicle that had to go out to retirees for each vehicle that they built. You can't keep up with Toyota when you have to pay someone that hasn't worked for you for 20 years. So those union contracts eventually went away. General Motors had to declare bankruptcy. This is, this is a weird concept here. When you have a large group that suddenly prices are dropping in, whether that's automobiles or anything else, and you have an overhead that doesn't drop with it, it causes you to fail. New companies can spring up out of that mess. And one did, and that led to dozens more. Tesla came up because of this. They could only function as a new company, even though they have a completely new concept and all of that. They could only function in the vacuum that was being left by these major automobile manufacturers that had to fail in order to get out of a union contract. And there's one of the problems with unions, and I'm not down on unions in general. There's a purpose for unions. And people go, well, I'm a capitalist. I don't believe in unions. Then you're not really a capitalist. You don't know what that means. Capitalism means using your head. That's what capital means. And using your head means that you've got to pay your employees well. And if you're not, then you've got a bad product eventually. So unions are a good part of the balance. When they get overly powerful, they are not good at all. When they get underly powerful, they're not good at all. Uh, The corporations get bad in those cases. So you need these checks and balances in order to have a good environment for the entire consumer-driven economy. I mean, if you work at General Motors, most General Motors employees own General Motors cars. Isn't that weird? They weren't forced to buy those. Most people that work at Tesla own Tesla vehicles. SpaceX too, by the way, they don't own their own rockets, but they do own Tesla vehicles. I don't know how that works, but somehow it worked out. And that's that's me wrapping up on why deflation is bad, because it causes major corporations to have to fail because their overhead doesn't drop at the same speed as the prices that they have to charge. And we're about out of time.
1: This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure.
0: Uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's general portfolio for, management. And portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at...
1: 254 947
0: You can reach that line tool-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN.
1: And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly.
0: Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, jeff or jake at tpwc.com. There are... Uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, Thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.